winter of 2019, just before COVID became a household word, we formed a campaign team to begin to address our ability to reach more people who are looking for a church home or looking for God. Our building was running at full capacity, too many weekends at our most attended service. The campaign was going to be about a $4 million campaign called Less. Then COVID hit. It was a time of great uncertainty for all of us, so we seriously considered putting the campaign on pause indefinitely. After a lot of conversation, fasting, and praying, our leadership decided to focus on what is certain in a time of uncertainty rather than to simply drift in paralysis. We decided to focus on what we knew and wait on what we didn't know. The book of Ecclesiastes makes this point. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. In other words, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. As we proceeded with BLESS, we delayed the parts of the campaign that were directly related to increasing capacity. We just don't know when or if we will continue to have that need after the pandemic. But we kept the parts of the campaign that had to do with creating a more welcoming and inviting environment, retooling some of our key spaces for ministry, impacting our world, and establishing an even stronger financial foundation as a church family. So we launched a reduced $1.7 million campaign last fall. As money has come in, we've seen the results in our outdoor and indoor welcome spaces, as well as the exterior of our building. We've blessed Woodbury Elementary School, Hope Academy. We've provided scholarships for students serving in our community through our missions incubator. And we've blessed our mission partners serving around the globe. A $300,000 debt note has been retired. We've replaced seven of our nine HVAC units with high efficiency units. In spite of the pandemic, we're in as strong of a financial position as I can remember in my 24 years here at Five Oaks. We moved forward in uncertainty and so much has already been accomplished through your generosity. But in spite of all of that and everything that has been accomplished, our campaign is still $500,000 short of the goal. That means our whole vision can't be realized unless we end strong with a final push to raise the last $500,000 of our goal. What if we close that gap? Ecclesiastes 7, 8 tells us that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. We all want to end strong. We wanna close that gap so we can do everything we discern God is leading us to do in our next season of ministry at Five Oaks. We're asking those who have not joined the BLESS campaign to help us end strong by making a financial commitment above and beyond your regular giving. And with a little bit more certainty in our lives now than we had last fall, we're also asking current givers to reevaluate and prayerfully consider if they can do more to help us end strong. Let's imagine together what $500,000 will mean for our mission. First, closing out the remainder of our campaign goal will let us retool and utilize our gym for more effective ministry. We envision a thrust stage, screens and projectors, and sound and lighting. This will transform the gym from a recreational space into a more effective multi-purpose ministry resource for years to come. It'll be a better space for kids and student ministries, a dynamic space for special events, and an important step toward providing more space for worship services. And it'll still serve all of our recreational needs, like what we did during the four weeks of fun 
last winter, opening the gym to families throughout the day. Second, we want to retire a $305,000 debt note. This frees up financial resources for years to come. Third, we want to continue to bless our ministry partners with 5% of every dollar that comes in for the campaign. So much has already been done. Our leadership and our campaign team can't thank our Five Oaks family enough for supporting the Bless Campaign and Christ's mission through Five Oaks during these uncertain times. So how can you help us end strong? First, by seeking God in prayer for his direction to you and to your family for the Bless and Strong campaign. Second, by participating on the weekends and meeting with a small group during our four-week Bless and Strong sermon series. Third, on the weekend of October 2nd and 3rd, we'll once again pass out commitment cards. We're praying we can close the gap. To do that, we'll need about 85 more Five Oaks families to participate in the financial aspects of this campaign. We'll also need some to give above and beyond their original commitment. And we'll need your prayers. We can end strong and bless our world. In a little over a year, we'll have retooled our gym for kids, students, and our entire church family. Our financial foundation will be stronger, helping us face new challenges and opportunities into future generations. And strategic needs will be addressed in our city and in our world. Pray and talk over your financial involvement as a family or with close friends and mentors. Participate in our Bless and Strong series on weekends and with a small group and give to the campaign as God leads you. Let's end strong together. Good morning. Great to see all of you, and good morning to those of you who are watching uh, our live stream of the service. So uh, as part of our campaign weekend, and I can't emphasize enough, there's, there's great stuff out there as well as in the back, uh, cornhole, all kinds of stuff out there. So if you want to get out there and just have some fun right after the service, please join us for that. Uh, but as part of the campaign, we're uh, launching a four-week series, and uh, this four-week series is called Recapturing the Wonder That Is the Church. Uh, last fall, we launched a series, uh, it was about an eight-week series when we launched the campaign, and it looked at the word bless and used the word bless to talk about <clears throat> things that we can do personally and as family units uh, to bless the people around us, our neighbors and others. Uh, in a sense, this series focuses more on what we can do as a church. And so, uh, now... We're going to approach it in what might be, uh, for some, uh, well, right, what is an unusual way, kind of an unusual approach. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the wonder that is the church. And for you, there may not be any wonder. <laughs> you, you know the people all around us, and you know how churches function, and you know the ups and downs of that. But there is a wonder that is the church, and we need to recapture that. And when we can recapture that, it rekindles our hearts and our imaginations for what we can be together uh, so that we can uh, accomplish Christ's mission better uh, together. Now, if you're new with us, normally, uh, not normally, but most of the time, we spend uh, our time during the sermon time working through books of the Bible. So we just finished a series on Romans 5 through 8. 
In a few weeks, we come back to Romans 9 through 11, and eventually we'll work through all of that before we take on another book of the Bible. Right now, this series is more of a vision series and hopefully an inspirational series as well as a theological series as we look at this topic of the church. So, because understanding the Bible and our purpose in life doesn't have to be a mystery, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's way back uh, in the end, uh, towards the end of your Bible. And there is a table of contents. It's in the New Testament, and you should be able to find it uh, there. So, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to grab one of the Bibles in the seat rack in front of you for those of you who are there. Uh, if you're at home, go grab your Bible. And if you have a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. So as we do every week before we jump into the passage, uh, we pray for the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to uh, illuminate the Scripture to us and empower us to live it. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all good things, and we thank you for the gift of your grace and the blessing of your word. By your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and illuminate your truth. Grow our knowledge, both of you and of who we are in you, as we look to your word. And may the generosity of your grace lead us to walk in obedience. Remind us that you will give us everything we need as you work in us and through us to bless the world around us. Father, uh, on this weekend where we are remembering the events of September 11th, 2001. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, during this time that you would comfort hearts that still are grieving and that experienced a lot of loss, uh, not just from that event, but from uh, the wars that came uh, out of that event, uh, the many disappointments, the impact, the, the way that it has impacted our entire culture and, and really the cultures all around the world. And Father, I pray that you would bring that comfort and that you would bring even instruction to us that we would learn uh, from what's happened, from our reactions, that we would learn to trust in you even more and recognize your sovereignty and your greatness over all the events of life and in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, is a series of letters written from a senior demon to a junior demon. The junior demon, uh, you never hear from him, but you know the kinds of things he's saying by the responses that you get from the senior demon. Well, the junior demon has been given the job of corrupting a particular young man. And uh, so the senior de demon is giving him advice on how to do it. It's almost like the junior demon is an apprentice of sorts. Very early on in the story, the the subject, the, the guy that's supposed to be corrupted, becomes a Christian. And you can tell by the response of the senior demon that the junior demon feels he has failed. But the senior demon says, no, 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 don't, don't worry. We, we can still win him back. All is not lost because right now he is going to start going to church. And that is our greatest ally in winning him back. And so the senior demon says, as soon as he gets there, he's going to look around and he's going to say, these are some of the people that I've been trying to avoid all my life. 
And he's not going to be impressed. He's not going to be impressed by the music. He's not going to be impressed by the way people dress. He's not going to be impressed by the people who are oftentimes very ordinary and very boring, even though they supposedly have this incredible calling in life. And so he will be, he will be, it'll impact him and he will be shocked by some of the vices of the people in that church who profess to be Christians. So the senior demon says, look, keep him focused on the disappointment. Keep him focused on everything that is wrong in that church all around him. And that is how we will win back this young man. Here's the dilemma that we have um, as we seek to accomplish Christ's mission. The dilemma is this, if I could have that next slide. No one becomes a Christian apart from the church, but many, I think most, walk away from their faith because of their disappointment with the church. Now, the first statement needs a little bit of uh, background. No one becomes a Christian apart from the church. Even if you became a Christian simply by opening a Bible and reading the Bible, uh, you would not have that Bible if not for the church uh, over the centuries. Keeping the manuscripts, translating the manuscripts into languages, into your language, if not for the mission of the church, starting as this little band of disciples in, uh, in Israel of the first century, spreading all over the world, you and I would not become Christians if not for the church. But even though we become Christians because of the work of the church, many walk away because they are so disappointed with the church, the people of the church. A friend of mine who walked away from his faith several years ago explained this to me in a conversation not that long ago. He said, nearly every Christian I respected growing up has let me down. And I've looked at their lives, and it doesn't seem to me at this point in my life that they ever really believed what they said that they believed. But in the conversation, it was a long conversation, in the conversation he also said, I miss what I had before I walked away. I miss the hope I had. I miss the peace that I experienced, but I just don't know. I, I just don't know the way back. I don't know that there is a way back. What if we could help people find their way back to God by being the church God has called us to be? Now, right up front, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a flawed church. I'm not saying by being perfect, by being just right, by being the church that God has called us to be. To be the church that God has called us to be, believers, we need to recapture the wonder of what the church is and what the church can be. Sometimes it's not recapturing. Sometimes it's getting it for the first time. Sometimes it's renewing it. Um, uh, some, sometimes it's, it's, it's a long journey, a very long journey to recapture that wonder. And here's what happens when we recapture the wonder. We stop pretending. It's not that we're, like I said, it's not that we're going to become like this perfect church and anybody who comes and meets the members of this church are just going to be so impressed with us. No, we stop pretending. Part of the wonder of the church is that God has called broken flawed people like us to be his people. Part of recapturing the wonder of the church is getting that. It's probably going to be 
the biggest idea that I want to share with you today and that I'm going to develop is that the church is filled with flawed people. We're one of them. And that's part of the wonder of what is the church. Secondly, we live in awe and lean even more into God's grace. So we understand that we are the flawed, and we are together last week, the quote I gave you, we are a league of the guilty, who've been forgiven, but we're the league of the guilty, not the people who have it all together telling other people how to live. Uh, When we get that, we lean more into God's grace, and then we pursue what God has called us to be. So what if we could help people in their journey back to God by being that kind of church, a church that can do that? What does the Bible say about the church that should capture our wonder? It says a lot. And I'm only going to, I mean, when you say scratch the surface, that is an understatement when I read uh, the next three passages that I want to read. So one of those passages is 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verses 9 and 10, this is the Apostle Peter speaking to a local congregation uh, in the first century. And this is what he says about them, these flawed people. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so as you read that passage, you see that right right from verse 9, he says, you are all these things, a royal priesthood, you are a chosen people, and all of that, he says, so that or that you may declare the praises. That language, declare the praises, going all the way back to Abraham, is language of being a people that bring glory to God in such a way that other people become intrigued, learn about God, and follow God as well. So we are all these things with a mission. And as you continue reading in this passage, you see the missional language coming out there as well. First uh, Timothy 3.15, I'll put that on the screen. God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We are the church of the living God. We are God's household. Uh, Acts, book of Acts, chapter 20. The church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He paid with his own blood to create this thing that we're a part of. We could add passages that call the church the body of Christ. Which we just, if you've been around church very long, it's kind of like something you just throw out there a lot. You know, you say, yeah, we're the body of Christ. Think about it. We are the body of Christ. Passages that talk about the church as being the bride of Christ. Passages that talk about the church, we gathered together and as God's people being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, When you read these statements about the church, it's important to recognize that some of those statements are spoken of as the church universal. Okay, so there is this concept in Scripture of the church universal. This means all believers in all places, all right? You can speak of the church in that way. Sometimes in the Scripture, in the New Testament, it speaks about the church, and it's speaking about the local church. There is very little difference in terms of what is said about the church universal, which is all Christians all over the world, And the specific expression of that 
the local church. The things that are said about the local church are just as magnificent as the church universal. It becomes, you can actually say, yes, we represent all the things that are said about the church universal. The only difference is the local church is a mixed bag of people who are following Jesus and people who are not, whereas the universal church is really everybody who's following Jesus. And by the way, that doesn't look very different because if among all of us who are following Jesus, we are a mixed bag. We, make, we continue to make a lot of mistakes. We continue to have to lean into the grace of God. But as grand as the descriptions are of the church in the New Testament, it doesn't hide the deep flaws and deep failures of the flesh and blood church. I was going to spend about the next 10 minutes, I had to cut it, uh, just documenting the level of disappointment it would be if you were a non-Jewish convert to Christianity in the city of Corinth and you have heard about Jesus the Messiah and you've heard about the transformation that he brings to people's lives and you start become, you become a part of one of the house churches in Corinth and what you would see in that church would be would make some of the pagan religions of that time um, well it would be a reflection of that. This is a church that Paul founded, that Paul stayed with for over a year, mentoring and developing and pastoring this church, and within a few years, it was a mess. Part of the reason we have many of the letters of the New Testament, many of the epistles of the New Testament, is because of the failures in the local church to not live up to what God has called us to be. It's a mess. Sometimes it's an ugly mess. And the more you learn about the promise and the claims for what the church is before God, the deeper the disappointment can be. Now, given the letdowns, given the disappointments, how is it that we can recapture this vision that the Bible keeps giving us, that God gives us in his word uh, about the wonder that is the church? Well, that's what this whole series is going to be about. Uh, it's going to be one sermon on four weeks, all right? So one sermon... In four weeks. And what we're going to be exploring is four realizations that recapture the wonder. Four realizations from Scripture that recapture the wonder. Each week is one point, of, of, is one of those realizations, okay? So this week, one point, we get to belong to God's church. That's the first realization. We get to belong to God's church. All right, look at verse 10 of 1 Peter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear the blessing of that? Do you hear the privilege of that? We get to be part of something bigger than us. And it's something that God has put together and that God has a plan for. Uh, uh, the, the grace of that, the gift of that, it is possible to be part of a group of people that God has put together, part of his family. Now, there's an inseparable connection in Scripture between becoming a Christian and belonging to the church. Inseparable. Uh, you have in this passage, you have the, the, the language of moving, you, you once were in darkness, but now you're in light. Okay, that 
That's language of conversion. That's language of crossing from one thing to another, putting your faith in Christ and something happening. You used to be in darkness, now you're in light. It has a language of you once hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. And so we receive that mercy by putting our faith in what God has done in Jesus Christ. All right, so there's, again, that language of, of becoming a Christian, and it's intricately connected to another reality. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You, you come to faith, you become part of something larger. A theologian, Trevin Wax, uh, puts it this way. He says, just as we are born into a family, we are born again into the family of God. And just as being part of the earthly family involves a matrix of relationships and obligations, being part of God's family means we do not enter the Christian life, nor do we grow as Christians without being encumbered in some way. It was an article about being encumbered. And so encumbered means, you know, it's kind of like you got to carry some weight. You got to carry, you, you have restrictions on your life. You, when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean, hey, you know, that's it. You know, I, I got my ticket to heaven and now I know God and I'm just going to walk humbly with God, just me and him alone. No, you become part of a larger family. And it does bring, just like every family does, it just, it just brings some responsibilities to say, you can't just do whatever you want. You're part of a family. That's what he's trying to get at. Can't, coming to faith personally and belonging to the church are inseparable elements. We're born again, as he says, into the family of God and into a whole matrix of relationships. Now, earlier in uh, this year, this calendar year, uh, we launched the year with a series on basic theological, foundational theological ideas. Many of you remember that. Uh, it was um, called Room of Marvels. We used a book called Emblems of the Infinite King, kind of a young adult, uh, older kids book on theology, very imaginative. We worked through about, I can't remember if it was seven, eight, nine different major doctrines of our faith, foundational doctrines of our faith. On the church chapter, I quoted what the author says about the church. And it says this, this is a ragtag family made up of all kinds of people with all kinds of pasts and all kinds of circumstances. When we see the church as a whole, it looks like a patchwork quilt with different shapes, patterns, colors, and designs all sewn together by the threads of faith and the king's steady hand. Now, that's a for many, this is a beautiful picture, right? It's the diversity. It's I get to be a part of this. Uh, it's all kinds of past. God is not going to hold my past against me. Uh, all kinds of circumstances in life. It's a beautiful picture. In our world, this isn't a beautiful picture for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like quilts. <laughs> um, they don't want to be a part of a ragtag family. All right? It just, it's not attractive. This picture, which I quoted back then thinking everybody's going to, like, everybody's going to resonate with this. Not everyone resonates with this idea. A lot of people who profess Christianity, who, who have, in their hearts, they feel that they have followed Jesus, do not want to be part 
of the church family for a variety of reasons. And so I just want to stop for a few moments and ask, what are the causes? What are some of the causes of disconnection between my faith and my church, a community that I belong to? And uh, I'm only going to give you four. One of the questions in the Reflection in Small Group time says, hey, what are some of the others? Because there are many others. I'm only going to give you four. So here's, here's one. Experiences of abuse or extreme dysfunction. Some people have told me stories of their past church experience that leaves me without words. That I'm like, I really don't know how you're even still walking in the faith after what you experienced. I have no idea. And so that is a reality uh, that we face. It's like that ragtag group of people, they were horrible to me. Not all of them, but there were horrible people there and they did horrible things. And sometimes it's a whole dysfunctional type of church family, extremely dysfunctional, we're all dysfunctional, but extremely dysfunctional, um, even abusive, uh, sometimes emotionally, spiritually, sometimes even physically abusive. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that we oftentimes disconnected, that people uh, are disconnected. Another one is social anxiety. Uh, it, it really hit me while I was preparing this in a way that it hadn't before. Uh, uh, so, I've oftentimes thought, I've heard many people say, I don't like going to church, I don't like being part of a church service because I have social anxiety. It's really hard for me to run into so many people, be sitting around so many people. And I always, I have to, I'll admit, my first thought is, you go to work every day. <laughs> right? You go to work every day. I mean, not since COVID probably, you know, a lot more from home for, for many of you, but you go to work every day. What hadn't struck me is that, yeah, they go to work every day. They have to go to work every day. But for a lot of people, it's like, why am I going to voluntarily put myself through what I experience every day at work with the social anxiety on the weekend? That's what hit me in a way that, I'm sorry to admit, that's uh, a strike against my pastoral heart. Um, that I didn't quite get that, and it was in doing this. Uh, Patrick Lencioni uh, who has a business podcast, right? He's written a lot of business books, uh, had an episode several months ago in his podcast about re-entry from COVID, re-entry back into the marketplace and back into your workplaces. And he said something that I had never thought about before. He said that, that re-entry is one of those things that you think everybody's going to celebrate. And of course, you know, maybe many of you saw the video of this, uh, is the comedian from SNL, kind of going down the, the aisle and everybody's screaming and hitting them in the hands like, that's what it's going to be like when we're all back. And we all thought that was going to happen in about a month. Um, so he says, in, in, you think that getting back around people, not everybody wants that uh, normally, but, but you think that getting back with people would be just this joyous occasion. Finally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not so isolated anymore. People who's, who are suffering with the isolation of working at home every single day and not being around many other friends. He says, that's not what it is. He compared it to people who get out of prison, who are counting the days for the day that they're going to get out of prison. When they get out of prison, you would think that they would be like, yay! But it's not. It's a long adjustment period. You actually have gotten used to what you were experiencing before. And so the whole podcast had to do with what can we do in business places to help people with that, with that transition. Um, so... Social anxiety is a, is a, is a real thing. Um, 
hopefully there would be a recapturing of the wonder that would say, yes, I am going to do that to myself uh, in, in, in these ways. I, yes, I am going to do that, that to myself. That would be my hope, uh, but I think I understand it better than ever before. Here's a third reason why, for the disconnection. Um, it's an individualistic or independent spirit. An individualistic or independent spirit. Now, there's nothing, there's, there's a lot good about individualism. It, we, we knock it a lot of times. Uh, pastors like to knock individualism. There are some positive aspects to individualism. Uh, but there can be a radical uh, individualism. There are dark sides of all individualism. And there is an independent spirit that oftentimes that a lot of us have. And it has served us well in a lot of ways. But in Christianity, Christianity is presented very clearly as a a walk with God, a relationship with God that is radically dependent on God and radically dependent on the family of God. That, that's how it is presented. There is, you can't, you really can't read the Bible without walking away going, yeah, this is how Christianity is presented. But if you're radically individualistic or have a strong independent streak, you're going to bucket. You're going to go like, you know, no, I don't know. I, I, I think I can prove this wrong. I think I can prove that I can be independent and live that long life with God. And it shouldn't surprise us if we're not like trying to buck that in our lives. It shouldn't surprise us that some people would do that because that's what all sin is also. I mean, sin is, you know, we, we do something, you know, oftentimes that we know is wrong, but we do it anyways. Why? Because we think we can prove God wrong. <laughs> In the back of our mind, we think, I can do this and be okay. Uh, I really can. And, and God's like, no, you can't. And it does have an effect, and it's an effect that goes way beyond you. But there's another aspect of this. It's a little bit more insidious of how this independent spirit individualism works its way through. It's not necessarily an arrogance, which it is, to say, I can do this alone. It's not necessarily the arrogance of saying, I can do this alone. It's the independent spirit that says, I'll pick and choose what resources and people I need to thrive spiritually. I'm going to pick and choose. And with the internet... uh, with the mobility of our world, with the number of parachurch ministries that are out there that serve in so many different ways, the reality is that you have a lot to pick and choose from. And you can put together your own, like, Christian experience bubble. But here's, here's the problem. I say funny things, not funny, it's funny things sarcastically. Funny thing happens when we carefully curate our Christian attachments. We end up surrounded by people just like us. The old or infirm, the person from a different political party, people of different ethnicities and races, and so many others are almost always automatically either greatly underrepresented or excluded. Because what? You're curating your little group You're not going to include people that rub you the wrong way. And the church is filled with people 
that rub us the wrong way. And God wants to use them in our development. Sometimes those are going to be the people that you're closest to if you give it time, if you allow God to work in your life. Um, so uh, you, you and I, we can buck the need for diversity. We can keep the needy, anybody, anybody who's needy or really has a lot of needs, uh, kind of far away. We can keep the different, people who are different than us, uh, you know, on the outside. We can do that. But there's a cost. Uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, it's a, it's a fantasy about a bus, bus trip, a group of people that are on a bus, and they come to the outskirts of heaven. And they're about to be given a, a chance to maybe go into heaven. And uh, long story short, none of them go. None of them go in. And they don't go in because there's this independent spirit in them that they are not willing to humble themselves in a way that would depend, it, it, the kind of humbling that, would, that, that has to happen for us to come before Christ and the cross and come face to face with our own sin and repentance and all those kinds of things. That it's obviously not there. They want to go into heaven, but they want to go in on their own terms. And so Lewis's fantasy to get us thinking is that this is what we want Oftentimes, this is what we pursue our entire lives, and guess what? God will give it to us for all of eternity, and we would choose it for ourselves because the idea of humbling, being with those people for all of eternity is just, it's too much of a turnoff for them. So what happens is his picture that he tries to give across, remember, it's a fantasy, but his picture is that, that those who don't you know, who decide not to go in, become smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, if you're this big, let's say, and you're this far apart, and you're shrinking and you're shrinking and you're shrinking and you're shrinking, the more, the smaller you get, the farther apart you are. Until you're so small, you can see no one else, and you're completely isolated, and you have your independence that you always wanted. So there's a, a carrot of community that God calls us to, but if the carrot, you know, I don't want to be part of that ragtag. I don't, I don't care what you're saying. Consider the stick. Consider the reality of what that kind of independent spirit actually can lead to. Here's a fourth reason. Idealism and its close cousin, perfectionism. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who was executed uh, weeks before World War II ended for his resistance to Hitler, uh, he said this in a book that he wrote on community called Life Together. He said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. I mean, we're seeing it in our, in our world today. There's so many visions, so many utopian visions. You know, God has been cast aside. The idea that... Uh, God has this bigger plan. We need to recognize how we've messed his world up. It's not even on the table. It's not even on the radar anywhere. Instead, of there's these utopian visions and people trying to push their utopian visions on each other, all these competing utopian visions, all idealistic about what we can be and eventually become violent or 
become exclusionary uh, in, their, in how they're expressed. Uh, they love community, um, the whole idea, but they don't love the people that they have to live with. And so um, I have an, an uncle, I had an uncle, uh, my mother's brother, who always comes to mind when I th think of something like this because I, I've never heard another human being say so many utopian things about what a family should be. Family is everything. Family, 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 family. Who in reality, face to face with people, drove everyone in his family away from him to the point where they wanted to have nothing to do with him. Now, I, I didn't have this with him because I didn't have to live with him. Uh, and I loved him. And we would go down to Miami uh, in our early years of marriage. We would go down to Miami and uh, he, would, uh, we, he would say, Henry, I want to get together. Let's get together. Let's spend, give me about three or four hours. I'm like, perfect, tomorrow we're going to the beach. Um, everybody's going, come on, like the whole family together. Nope, got too much to do, uh, too busy. He was retired at the time, and which doesn't mean you're not busy, it just means you can shift things a little bit, a lot easier than other people, and you have the day free to go to the beach. And he would never go with it, maybe once over you know, a 15-year period he went with us. Family, 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 come be with the family. Nope, nope, nope. No. When you get free, come on over. Just give me a few hours. <laughs> to which Lois would go, mm -mm -mm. you know, no. <laughs> I did give it to him a few times, and Lois is like, mm -mm, like this. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's how it is. You love the idea, but idealistic, but being with these real people, <laughs> it's so difficult. It's just, not, it's just not worth it. If everybody were just, well, just like me, then maybe it would be okay. Jesus told a parable about the church, uh, about what was coming. Uh, it was called, uh, kind of the old name is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, in some of your Bibles, it'll be called the parable of the weeds. And it's about a farmer who his workers plant a field. And when they wake up the next morning, there are an enemy has come during the night and has planted weeds among the wheat. And the workers are, you know, alarmed, and they turn to the farmer, and they say, we've got to get out there and pull those weeds. And the farmer says, no, no, don't pull them, because while you're pulling the weeds, you're going to end up pulling a lot of the wheat. It's a parable. I don't know if it's good farming technique or not. I don't, Jesus was a carpenter. Um, <laughs> but he was making a point. He was making a point. Now, Jesus, it's not that Jesus didn't believe we should confront uh, wheat that is acting like weeds, <laughs> all right? There are plenty of teachings about confronting wheat. You know, it's talking about struggle is what he's talking about. He's not talking about unrepentant, someone who is destroying community, who is hurting other people, who is hurting themselves and trying to bring them back in. It's not talking about that. What he's talking about are witch hunts. You know, uh, being that group of people, the church being, we're the good people who need to make sure everybody stays good and that sort of thing. It's confronting witch hunting that destroys the church, and there's a lot of witch hunting going on right now um, in a lot of our churches. Um, so, 
He's offering a picture of reality. And the picture of reality is this. The church is going to be a mess. My people are going to be a mess. But I'm going to make my home among them. They're going to be a mess, but I'm going to make my home among them. One more thought. The screw tape letters. The senior demon, about three-quarters of the way down in this letter, uh, has this uh, to say to the junior demon. Above all else, keep your subject from thinking when he's in church. If I, being what I am, can consider that I am in some sense a Christian, why should the disappointing nature of these other Christians surprise me? And why should their failures prove that their religion is mere hypocrisy? It's a long sentence, but he's saying, don't let the thought enter his mind <laughs> that he's not perfect either, but he's expecting everybody else to be perfect. That's where that utopianism, that kind of idealism, perfectionism, he is not perfect either. Don't let him ever think about that. And the senior demon then says, anticipates what the junior demon is going to say. He goes, I know what you're thinking. How can I possibly keep him from thinking something that is so logical? <laughs> the senior demon says, oh, it's so much easier than you can imagine. And it is. What if we were to think about the reality that, yes, even I get to belong to the people of God in spite of all the ways that I am flawed and live in the wonder and the mar just marvel at it. Just go, I, I can't believe I get to be part of God's church. Um, the next time a brother or sister in Christ shares an idea that you find reprehensible, <laughs> that leaves you shaking your head, or does something that leaves you embarrassed that you are part of the same group as this person or these people. What if you thought to yourself, wow, God, am I this big of a knucklehead? <laughs> and you can answer the question, yeah, sometimes I am just in different ways. It's simply amazing that you have made me a part of your people. Help me help us do better. Just keep the wonder of this reality at the forefront of your mind and give God thanks. All right, we're going to begin our response now to God's Word, and we begin, as we do every week, by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And... Uh, this Lord's Supper reminds us that we are here only by God's grace. And we always have to remember that we are continuing to be here only by God's grace. This is not a one-time experience. We depend on God's grace every day. Jesus took the bread of Passover on the night he was betrayed. And he uh, said, this is my body, broken for you, which means in your place. I paid the penalty for your sin. Let's eat together. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Father, we, um, 
we need more awe in our lives for what you've done for us, what you've included us in, the plan that you have for your church and for us as part of your church. Father, I pray there would be more wonder in our lives that would lead to more worship, more glorifying of you, a greater humility as we walk with you, as a watching world is is watching us, Father, that we would go forward in humility. Help us to be your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.